Chapter 11 of Notwithstanding by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 11. It ain't the pews and free seats as knows what music is, nor it ain't the organist. It is the choir. There's more in music than just catching a tune and singing it forks here and piano there. But, law, miss, what do the pews and the free seats knows of the dangers? When the vicar gives them a verse to sing by themselves, it do make me swallow with embarrassment to hear em bella. They knows nothing, and they fears nothing. Mrs. Nichols. On this particular evening, Annette was the first to take her seat in the chancel beyond the screen, where the choir practices always took place. Mrs. Nichols presently joined her there with her battered part-book, and she and Annette went over the opening bars of the new anthem, which, like the riff bull, was awkward in pages. Mr. Black was lighting the candles on long iron sticks, while Miss Black adjusted herself to the harmonium, which did the organ's drudgery for it, and then settled herself, notebook in hand, to watch which of the choir made an attendance. Miss Black was constantly urging her brother to do away with a mixed choir and have a surpliced one. She became even more urgent on that head after Annette had joined it. Mr. Black was nothing loath, but his bishop, who had recently instituted him, had implored him not to make a clean sweep of every arrangement of his predecessor, Mr. Jones, that ardent reformer, whose principal reforms now needed reforming. So, with laudable obedience and zeal, Mr. Black possessed his soul in patience, and sought to instil new life into the mixed choir. Annette was part of that new life, and her presence helped to reconcile him to its continued existence, and to increase Miss Black's desire for its extinction. Miss Black was older than her brother, and had already acquired that acerb precision which lies in wait with such frequent success for middle-aged spinsters and bachelors. She somehow gave the comfortless impression of being ready-made and greatly reduced, as if there were quantities more exactly like her put away somewhere, the supply having hopelessly exceeded the demand. She looked as if she herself, as well as her fatigued, elaborate clothes, had been picked up half-price, but somewhat crumpled, in the sails. She glanced with disapproval at Annette whispering amicably with Mrs. Nichols, and Annette desisted instantly. The five little boys shuffled in in a bunch, as if roped together, and slipped into their seats under Mr. Black's eye. Mr. Chips, the grocer and principal base, followed, bringing with him an aroma of cheese. The two altos, Miss Pontifex and Miss Spriggs, from the infant's school, were already in position. A few late-covers seemed to have dropped noiselessly into their seats from the roof, and to have become visible by a clearing of throats. Mr. Black, who was chagrined by the very frigid reception and of the stale tea which his sister had accorded to Annette, said with his accustomary benignity, "'Are we all here? I think we may as well begin.' Miss Black remarked that the choirmaster, Mr. Spilcock, was late again, just as that gentleman was seen advancing like a ramrod up the aisle. A certain mystery enveloped Mr. Spilcock. He was not a riff-man, nor did he hear from noise, or heek, or swale, or even Ravenbridge. What had brought him to live at Ravenbridge no one rightly knew, not even Mrs. Nichols. It was whispered that he had bugled before royalty in outlandish parts, and when foreign missions were being practised, he had been understood to aver that the lines, where Afric's sunny fountains roll down their golden sand, 
put him forcibly in mind of the scenes of his earlier life. Whether he had really served in the army or not never transpired, but his grey moustache was twirled with military ferocity, and affected the bearing and manner of a retired army man. It was also whispered that Mrs. Spilcock, a somewhat colourless, depressed mate for so vivid a personality, was preyed upon in her mind, because another lady had a prior or church claim to the title of Mrs. Spilcock. As a child I always expected the real Mrs. Spilcock to appear, but she never did. "'Good evening, all,' said Mr. Spilcock verbainly, and without waiting for any remarks on the lateness of the hour, he seized out of his waistcoat pocket a tuning fork. "'We begin, I presume, with the anthem. Now on to him. Trebles, take your dough. Do, may, soul, do, do.' Mr. Spilcock turned towards the trebles with open mouth, uttering a prolonged falsetto, do, and showing all his molars on the left side, where apparently he held a doe in reserve. Annette guided Mrs. Nichols and Mrs. Cox and the timid under-housemaid from the Dower House from circling round the note to the note itself. "'Dow!' sang out all the troubles with sweetness and decision. "'Now then, boys, why don't you fall in?' said Mrs. Pilcock, looking with unconcealed animosity at the line of little boys whom he ought not to have disliked, as they never made any sound in the church, reserving their voices for shouting on their homeward way in the dark. "'Now then, boys, look alive. Take up your dough from the ladies.' A faint buzzing echo, like the sound in an unmusical shell, could be detected by the optimists nearest to the boys. It would have been possible to know they were in tune only by holding their bodies to your ear. "'They've got it,' said Mr. Black valiantly. Mr. Spilcock looked at them with cold contempt. "'Altos, me!' he said more gently. He was gallant to the fair sex, and especially to Miss Pontifex and Miss Spriggs, one dark and one fair, and both in the dew of their cultured youth. "'Haltos, take your me!' The two altos, their lips ready-licked, burst into a plaintive bleat, which if it was not me, was certainly nothing else. The miller, the principal tenor, took his sol, supported at once by the young chap from the Manvers arms, who echoed it manfully directly it had been unearthed, and by his nephew from Lerstoft, who did not belong to the choir and could not sing, but who was on a holiday, and who always came to choir practice with his uncle, because he was courting either Miss Pontifex or Miss Spriggs, possibly both. I have a hazy recollection of hearing years later that he had married them both, not at the same time, but one shortly after the other, and that Miss Spriggs made a wonderful mother to Miss Pontifex's baby, or vice versa. Anyhow, they were both in love with him, and I know it ended happily for everyone, and was considered in Rift to be a great example to Mr. Chips of portly years, who'd be engaged for about twenty years, as you might say off and on, to Mrs. Cox's sister, who was cook at the Dower House, but who, whenever the question of marriage was introduced, opined that he felt no call to change his state. Mr. Black made several ineffectual attempts to introduce the bases to take their lower. No! But Mr. Chips, though he generally succumbed into singing an octave below the trebles, had conscientious scruples about starting on the downward path, even if his path demanded it, and could not be persuaded to make any sound except a dignified neutral rumbling. The other bases naturally were not to be drawn on to dangerous ground while their leader held aloof. "'We shall drop into it later on,' said Mr. Black, hopefully, who sat with them. "'We had better start.' "'Pom, pom, pom, pom,' said Mr. Spilcock, 
going slowly down the cord, and waving a little stick at trebles, altos, tenors and basses in turn at each pom. Everyone made a note of sorts, with such pleasing results, something so far superior to anything that Sweet Apple Tree could produce, that it was felt to be unchivalrous on the part of Mr. Spilcock to beat his stick on the form and say sternly, "'Out out it high, not high flat!' Pom in piercing falsetto. The altos took up their note again, caught it, as it were, with the pincers from Mr. Spilcock's back molars. "'Right ho,' said Mr. Spilcock. "'Altos, if you find yourselves going down, keep yourselves up. Now, unto him.' And the serious business of the practice began. End of chapter 11